welcome to The Mary Mack Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. my warriors. This is Mary Mack of the Mary Mack Show. I have the great privilege tonight of being with Dan Schneider. Dan lives in Louisiana. He is the father of Danny, who was murdered by a drug dealer, shot in April of 1999. He is survived by his sister, Christy, his mom, Annie, and of course his dad. And This man has gone above and beyond what is necessary, but he felt that it was important that he catch the killer of his son. I know exactly what this is. Those of you who know me, you know that we went through something very similar when Angela was murdered many years ago. And I totally understand the devastation, the agony, not knowing that the police are doing the right thing. And you just take it on yourself because you have to. There's nothing that you can do otherwise. You're not waiting around. You're going to do whatever you can. And this is what Dan did. He took on the establishment, the police. He took on the DA as he did whatever he had to do to get justice for Danny. And I am so grateful that he's here with me today. I also want you to know that there is a Netflix four-part series called The Pharmacist. That is his profession. And I want you to go watch it because it's compelling and frightening and horrific what he and his family had to go through to, to secure justice for himself. So I thank you so much, Dan, for being here today, for spending some time with us and for telling us your story. Thank you, Mary. Uh, yeah, I appreciate the always appreciate the telling our story. It, it, some people don't quite understand that, but that's kind of part of the grieving process and, and part of the completely not the part of not letting your son's death die in vain. Okay, uh, you know, you you want there to be something good that happens out of his loss. Okay, and, and obviously the, the first thing you want to do too, though, is, is you. And don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll be honest, there was probably some revenge in this too, in, as far mm-hmm. as Bob But But it also took on a, 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 a second, almost as important as just revenge, okay? It was, I knew there was a killer on the streets. And so, you know, at first I had gotten mad at God when this happened. And, and but soon thereafter, I needed faith or God, okay? Because there was almost no one else to turn to. Okay, and so part of my grieving process was maybe developing some sort of a relationship with God, and I I had kind of made a little bargain with God. People bargaining when people die, you know, obviously maybe I'm all the time people bargain with him. 
Well, I originally bargained. Obviously, people go through these stages of grief. I bargained that, you know, God, take me. Don't take my son. You know, I'll give my life up if you let my son come back. Okay. And my wife and I, we, we all did that. But you, you rather quickly, in a sense, feel like you realize, you know, that that, that isn't going to happen. Okay. Sure. So my bargain became with God was, you know, you know, I, I didn't understand addiction when my son was murdered. Okay. And I felt bad about that after, because I should have. I was a pharmacist, okay, although we weren't trained. And I even had a stigma uh, uh, about people that did drugs and uh, who became addicts and whatnot, okay, and uh, kind of looked down on them and thought that maybe they were people just uh, that were maybe immoral. It was a morality type of thing. Okay? But I knew my son. Okay, I knew him from a baby. He almost never had a he never had a detention. He almost never had a fight. He was the mediator uh, amongst his friends when they would have arguments and fights, and it just was not in his nature. He always wanted to try to do what was right. So I had a struggle with how did this happen to him? How did he do this thing that I think was the wrong thing to be doing? And obviously, you shouldn't be doing drugs, okay? But how did he get into that trap? So I had to learn that, and I had to have, have an empathy for people that get in this situation, okay? But initially, too, there's a revenge. There's a kill on the street. The, the police were treating my son like he was a criminal and like maybe he didn't, he deserved what he got. Yes, and, 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 you know, it, I, I couldn't, I, I started to understand, now, wait a second now, he didn't kill anybody. He, he didn't really do any harm to anybody else, maybe to himself, you might say, although he didn't even intend that, okay? Indirectly, he hurt us, but he didn't intend that, right. okay? But this killer pulled the trigger, and he killed my son. Yep. And so... I, I said, you know, I, I'm talking to God about this, okay? And I said, God, I said, you know, help me get this kill off the street because he may kill again. Yes. So that, that became just as important as revenge, just getting him off the street so he can't kill again. I was pretty certain early on that he was not going to get life in prison or he was not going to get the death penalty. My son was against the death penalty anyway. Me and my wife early on decided even if he could get the death penalty, we were going to be against it. We would have probably been for life in prison, which we ultimately didn't even get that, but we did get some, eventually some measure of justice. But I thought we had to get this kid, this young person off the street, which maybe at first I didn't know it was a young person, but it turned out to be a, a kid that was 15 years of age that shot my son. Oh, I didn't know. So young. And he was that young. Okay. In fact, had he been, I think, three months younger or, or some period of time, in fact, he shot my son in April. I think his birthday was in March. And so he turned 15. Had he been 14, he would have been considered a juvenile. We did get him at age 15 considered oh. as an adult. That's great. And he killed my son two months earlier. Okay. He had been a juvenile. And the most you could have got, even assuming you could get some justice, would probably have been three years in some kind of a... Oh, my God. Okay, so yeah. and up, up in New York, we had the same issue. It was like right. he he killed Angela at fifteen, and even though they didn't catch him till he was thirty three, he got charged like a juvenile in New York. So he got less less time. So much less. He got nine to life instead of twenty five to life. If he had only six months later, he would have been sixteen as an adult. So I know exactly what you mean. Now, it's similar, but in our case, it would have been 15 to 14. It, uh, we, we must have a, a little bit 
short a time period, okay? But yeah, yeah. he had the chance when he was 15 to actually get life in prison, okay? Uh, it didn't work that way for a lot of reasons. But anyway, back to how I started on my mission and, and whatnot, I decided early on in my mission was that, you know, Danny didn't kill anybody. I, I got to get over this, okay? I'm going to find out about his addiction. And I, along the process of solving his murder, I educated myself about addiction, okay? And I found out a lot about my son and, 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 and how he got to where he did and how he felt about the situation he was in. Okay. Uh, but I also had to go on this mission to get the killer off the street. And I made a promise. I didn't want this to happen because we did feel like we were blindsided. Maybe we were blind, but we didn't see this coming. Okay. okay. Uh, we, we uh, didn't, Danny had never had a rehab. He'd never been a relapse, never been arrested, never had court dates. Unlike most of the kids that die in a drug related death, they've got a history. Yes. Okay. And he didn't have a history. Okay. The only history we did have was he had smoked some marijuana along the way. Okay. All right. And most of it never really got to be even a serious problem, but we kind of got on to him. We think he was too young to be smoking pot. Okay. Uh, and we thought we had addressed that issue. And we had even warned him about going further. And we thought he pretty much understood it, which I think he did. But it's still out there. Other drugs are out there. And the mind gets a little bit softened. Okay, with that drug use at an early age, okay, and uh, it can lead to, to worse things, which ultimately it did in his case. Okay, he was out that night attempting to buy crack. Wow, right, and and, and 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 was murdered in the process, which that's a little bit of a complicated story, which we may we may dwell into that a little bit. But yeah. anyway, I, I wanted to go on this mission now that I wanted to mainly teach other parents. Okay, signs that they might be able to see prior to, because in hindsight, we saw some things that maybe should have given us a, a more direct answer about his drug use. Okay. And I also wanted to educate kids about sure. doing it. And, and the, the great gift that I got, and I, you know, I bring God into this, and I wasn't always, a, I'm not an extremely religious person. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would even say early in my life, and on and off, I've been a doubter much of my life, okay? Uh, but this event drew me closer. And uh, I'm not saying I still am, 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 am never have a doubt creep into my mind about uh, about God, okay? Uh, but I needed God, okay? And I made this deal with God. I said, if, if you help me get my son's kill off the street and nobody gets hurt, okay, myself included, potential witness included, I will go on a mission for you to try to prevent other kids from doing this and to try to get their parents to wear the sound so that they don't have the same kind of tragedy that happened. Right. Something else added to my mission. Backing up a little bit shortly before my son's death, okay? And we could go way back to him as a little kid. He was a great kid. Like I say, always the mediator, not fights, not detentions. He was just an overall, I'm not saying perfect kid, okay? But... Uh, <laughs> A really good kid and basically knew right from wrong and, and tried to avoid wrong and tried to, you know, he kind of took after me in that respect. And I, I look at myself as, as that way. And so any event, about a couple of weeks before he died, we did see a few little signs. One, I caught him in a lie. Now, knowing that he died doing drugs and, and, and never told me he did drugs, obviously he lied to me more than once, okay? 
But we had this relationship where in most cases he didn't lie, and I could figure out he lied, okay, mm -hmm. or almost lied, okay. And so that we could tell for his death, he he uh he, for one, he he did a couple of crazy things, like he locked his keys in his car, some forgetful things. And uh and then also one time I caught him at home when he was supposed to be at work because he was going to community college, but he was also working. Okay. And uh I said, son, why are you on? He says, well, look, he said, they didn't need me today, so I, I didn't go in. And I said, no, that's fine. Well, Whoa. unluckily, his boss calls like, <laughs> and said, what happened to Danny yesterday? So I called Danny in the fact. Now, he didn't come out and admit he just said, well, I screwed up over slap and I, you know, I didn't know what to say. So he admitted that he lied. Okay. But to me, these were strange things that were kind of going on. So I go up to his bedroom about maybe a week or so before he dies. And I said, Danny, something's going on. I said, are you using drugs again? And when, when I say again, I meant getting heavily involved in marijuana. Uh -huh. I, I had no idea that he was taking anything more serious than that. Okay. But even still, I was concerned about that because when he did have intervals where he did a lot of smoking pot, not just a joint occasionally, but when he did a, 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 a little bit more, his grades suffered, his focus suffered. So I kind of thought maybe that's what he's doing. He says, no, Dad, I'm not doing drugs. I said, you're not even doing pot? No, I'm not doing pot. Well, I now know that's a lie. Right. But at the time he said that, but you know what disarmed me? I almost wouldn't have bought that. In fact, I didn't exactly. I said, Daddy, I said, look, something's going on. And, I, and he said, Daddy, he says, I'm depressed. Oh, wow. And, and, and I now know, and I even maybe knew then that, you know, depression leads to drug use and drug use leads to depression. It can be a vicious cycle. That's yeah. And they definitely. and they try to they try to use substances to fix themselves. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, he admits he has depression. Well, I it, this was a really God-given blessing in, in disguise, okay? Because he's gonna die in about another week. Okay, when I'm having this discussion with him. But I really developed this this sense that he was in trouble. Mm -hmm. And Crazily, but not a couple of weeks before, my aunt had a neighbor that committed suicide. Oh. So my first reaction to him was, well, Danny, you're depressed. You're not suicidal, are you? And he said, no, Dad, I'm not suicidal. He says, in fact, he says, I got great parents. I got a great girlfriend. He started telling me all the great things he had in life, which later would be a big gift that you rarely get shortly before somebody dies. Yeah. Because we didn't feel like good parents. When he seen him shot attempting to buy drugs, like what did we miss? What did we do? Did we raise him right? You, you, all yeah, you those, go through all those questions. Go through all those questions, but hauntingly, I did have. He told us we were great parents. Okay, now that didn't totally absolve us, but believe it or not, it helped. It still helps today, knowing mm -hmm. that he said that when these doubts creep in about what you could have did and what you couldn't have did. Right. We were doing a lot. Okay, we were doing probably more than what most parents did. Okay, but we just didn't catch a break. Okay, and sometimes that's what it takes. Okay, and we were close to catching a break. Okay, well, any of that. So I, I talked to him about, hey, Danny, he says, I'm losing focus. Okay, so we'll make a to do list. Okay, of things that you have to do. I uh, said, so the other thing is, tell me a little bit about this depression. Well, Dad, I'm not quite satisfied. I'm not doing as well in school. I want to be an architect, but I'm not doing well in math. And I said, well, look, Danny, calm down. I said, I know you're doing, he was a pretty good artist, okay? And I knew he's taking drafting at that time. Drafting was a, a profession, okay? And I, I said, why don't you focus on drafting? 
put the architect up on the shelf, okay? Maybe you'll never be an architect. By the way, that'd be fine with mom and dad. You don't have to be an architect. Being a draftsman, working, making, earning a living, would be uh, happy with us. We'd be happy. Just be a productive citizen. So you're not kind of totally so that he could maybe lower his goals a little bit, okay? Yes. Because every kid wants to do better than his dad and, and and whatnot. And so they get caught up in that. That leads to a lot of suicides and, and whatnot. So I disarm him on that. And and, and uh, I, I give him a call. And I said, I'm going to go to work in, in a couple of days. I think I had a couple of days off. And I said, and I'm going to get you an antidepressant. I was going to put him in Prozac at the time. And I'll get you a sleep aid to help you sleep at night. So I was trying to treat what he was able to give me to right. work with. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of days later, he 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 came to me uh, and he said, Daddy, so I want to tell you that meeting I, that we had was really great. This is the gift now that I had. He said, started a to-do list, okay? And he said, I've decided I'm going to focus on drafting right now. And he said, I, 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 I know you know a little bit about this, but he says, I really like to write poetry and I like to write short stories. And he says, I don't know if I really could be a writer, but that's I'm going to try to do that part-time along the way. And he said, there's one other thing I'd like to do. I'd like to discourage kids from doing drugs. Wow. And that just blew me away. And when he said it, it totally disarmed me because I still had doubts that he was doing drugs. Okay. Not crack. Not yeah. Crack. Yeah. Pop. Yeah. Okay. But I had, I had doubts. Now he's saying, I want to discourage kids from doing drugs. So it disarmed me. And it's a shame because I don't know if it made a difference, but it totally disarmed me. I went to bed thinking great things. Wasn't but a few nights later, uh, 10.30 at night, he comes to us, me and my wife, and says, Mom and Dad, i got to go out to, to get some notes from my friend. And you know, he was still living with us, but it was the type of relationship we had that he still wanted to let us know where he was going. We all said the right things, you know, be careful, don't be too long, we love each other, which was another good gift, okay? Uh, and uh, And he leaves. And we go to sleep. But five minutes after he left, we get a phone call from one of his friends, a kid named Ricky. Oh, wow. we, didn't understand, we didn't understand the significance of that call, okay, at the time. Okay? Mm-hmm. We would later find out the significance. But any of that, we're sleeping now, two o'clock in the morning, okay? We get a loud knock on the door. We scramble, throw some a robe on or something, get out of bed, go to the door. It's two policemen. They asked her to come in. They asked us to sit down. And we still don't really understand what's going on here. We still sure. even this to a problem with Danny. We, thought, we think Danny's up in his bedroom sleeping. Okay. Then he came back when we didn't even know. Okay. And so they say something to the effect that your son has been shot. And, and I said, well, what hospital is he in? And they say, no, he's dead. And, and now I kind of realized that maybe, maybe they actually said he's shot and he's dead. But I didn't hear that. You know, your, your mom just yes. can't handle it off. Right. When they say he's dead, my wife says, oh, no, he's up in his room. Yeah. His, his sister by this time is waking up. She runs to his room to check on him. Okay. And she calls down to us because he's got an upstairs room. Calls down to us. Mom, he's not in his bed. And then it kind of hit us that this was probably real. We had to go that night to the morgue and identify him. Right. And and 
I, I can't even describe what it does to you and how torn are you are, okay? And yeah. my wife had no idea how he gets shot, why he gets shot. I don't either, but it starts coming in that it's related to drug use. In fact, we asked to go where he was shot at, and when we got into the area where he was shot at, I said, oh, my God, this was drugs. And then I feel like a fool because I just talked to him days before, okay? Right. Of course, he admitted depression, but he did admit drug use. And he said, I want to discourage kids from doing drugs. I would later put those pieces together. Shortly after his funeral, okay, I met with some of his friends. And I was trying to find out, well, what happened? When, when did the youth start? And, and did you guys know what he was doing? Two of his friends admitted. And they not only knew what he did, but Danny had come to them and asked for help. Wow. That he was craving his drug and he didn't want to do it. Okay. And they said, yes, we'll help. We'll go out and shoot pool. We'll drink a beer or something like that. Get your mind off of it. Right. We now know that Danny reached at that point. I, I became aware Danny reached out to two of his friends that day, one of whom was sleeping, but he left a message like with the mom. Okay. The other friend, they got a message left. At the time. We, didn't have, we didn't have iPhones back then. And, 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 right. And, and, this is 1999, folks. We didn't I, have all of that. This was 1999. And so, but, but, but five minutes after Danny left was a phone call from a kid named Ricky. Ricky was one of the kids that Danny had reached out that day to, to try to reach to say, I need help. I don't want to go out. And yet we missed it by five minutes. All this gave me extra compassion for my son. And it also started teaching me, how is it that these kids go out and do this? Can't they just stop? Don't they realize what they're doing is wrong? Mm -hmm. Okay. But Danny realized it was wrong. And Danny wanted to stop. He even didn't want other kids trapped in this. He wanted to discourage kids from doing this. Which all goes back to one, one another extra motivation of why I wanted to get his killer off the street. And then I wanted to go on a mission now to get other kids to think this way. And also I wanted to warn friends, if your friend needs help, okay, fine, try to help him if you can, but be careful, okay? If his friends would have dropped a note in my mailbox anonymously, mm -hmm. because I know that the social implications of a kid tells on another kid, maybe that maybe he gets ostracized or something. These kids have to be given, part of our mission was going to be, these kids have to be given a way to anonymously report this thing. Okay. Just like Crime Stopping did for the, for, for the murders. Okay. But it, these kids can do it in school or they can drop a note in the mailbox or they can report it. So that was another part of uh, what I wanted to go on a mission. But I will say this. I don't know if I could have went on this mission if I wouldn't have got justice for my son. My deal with God was, if you help me get my son's killer, I will do such and such. I'd like to think I'd have done it anyway. I'd like to think it took you 18 years to solve your case, that if it would take 18 years sooner or later, I'd have went out on that mission. I didn't go speak in one school or do anything that first 18 months or two months my son's case was resolved. Okay, And yep. just a little tidbit, not a lot of detail, but the police early on, had given me lip service that they were going to try to find his killer. Uh, they they let me know they thought he was a drug dealer and he was doing a he was a, a drug user or a drug abuser or whatnot. They they thought he was worse than what he was. Okay, they did a lot of crazy things just to give you a, 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 one example of what they did. I told them I said, look, did y'all go check at his work? Maybe you find out how he bought these drugs. Okay, well they sent somebody down to his work. Now. 
remember early on, early on before my son's death, his boss at Pizza Hut, he worked at the Pizza Hut delivery driver. Okay? okay. She had called me one time and said, well, Danny didn't report to work the day before. Okay. And, uh, and he told me that he, he had uh, been given that day off. <laughs> but, which made me suspicious, which is why I talked to him the first time about the whole thing. And you know that part of, of, of the story now as explained. But in any event, the police did go down. They followed that lead that I gave. They went down to his, his uh, pizza place that he worked. His boss calls me back and says, Mr. Danny, I want to let you know the police came. I said, well, look, I sent them. And she said, yeah, but they only asked one question. So what did they ask? They said, how much was he stealing? Oh, that's ridiculous. And I said, they asked how much he was stealing. And she said, and I said, well, what did you say? And she said, he says, well, Danny's never stolen a nickel. He says, my best, he's my best employee. The cops are telling me Danny ripped the black guy off. The cops are telling me Danny's been stealing from me. Well, I questioned him about it. And they said, well, if he wasn't stealing from him, he must have been stealing from you. Well, that's now, ridiculous. That's a, that's a presumption. But this is what's telling me now. Are they really serious about solving his murder? Yeah. They're more interested in finding out that he's a criminal. Right. That he's a bad guy. That, that was their focus at that time, to justify whether or not the case was solved, or maybe if they ain't going to solve it, they were justifying it because your kid yes. wasn't worth anything anyway. Yes. All this is lessons to me, not only about helping me solve the case, but lessons that I know other families are going to go through this. And I got to try to teach the families. They may be faced with that. Don't let it get the best of you. I'm also now trying to teach cops. Cops in general have gotten a little bit better. That was 20 years ago. Stigma was horrible then. Yes. It's bad today. But it ain't as horrible as it was 20 years ago. That's very true. We have made some progress, and I continue to I, I, I meet with policemen. Um, the, the FBI had me actually go to what, the train some of their agents. That's so great. We're, we're keep, keep doing that. They need that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So anyway, but I will tell you this now. At the time, I was still struggling with what's, I didn't understand everything. So when they told me they were stealing boss, a bell went off. We had something unusual in the house, and I have to, I'm going to admit something right now. I'm glad the statute of limitations has passed, okay? <laughs> we owned a bunch of apartments at the time, 16 apartments. My son would help me maintain those. He did paint me clean toilets. He did the whole nine yards, okay? We helped him buy a truck mainly because of the work he did there. We paid him a little something to help me pay for the truck, okay? But we also used the truck for what we needed to do with the apartments. So in any event, though, we had a, what I call a cash car. When we, when we took our rent, and be all honest, if we collected $6,000 in rent, you know, $500 went on the side, not reported, okay? And then we reported <laughs> And we, we were actually reported a profit. A lot of landlords don't even do that. But we had a little stuff that we put on the side that we didn't acknowledge, okay? Might have been illegal, might be a white lie, but anyway, we did that. And it would pile up. We'd get to three or $4,000 sometime. And I thought about that. I said, and the kids knew about it. And we told them about it. We actually said, if you need to use that money for whatever emergency, we had a little notebook. All you got to do is write it in and explain what you're using it for. And every now and then, we would review this little notepad to find out what was going on. Okay. So you had your own little kitty on the side. Right. So anyway, I start saying, oh, my God, I didn't check the kitty. Mm. Maybe, maybe the cops are right. Okay. So I went with a heavy heart 
tears in my eyes, afraid that I would see that the kitty was missing a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars with no notes. Right, right. It wasn't short a penny. Wow. Not only that, Danny had, and I felt guilty about this here, but Danny had a a, 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 a container, you might say, on this thing with, with a change in, in, in money. Okay. And uh we had kind of got on him and his girlfriend. He had a girlfriend that was in college a long distance, which had something to do with his depression. She was away. She went away to college, okay? They were very close. She was almost a fiance. But I'm sure that he was worrying that, you know, while she's away, she's going to meet somebody. Sure. Later, we would have discussions with her and the situation. And he did feel that way. And yet, it probably wasn't real, okay? She was very committed to him. She was committed to help us solve the murder after. She stood by his coffin the entire night. And part of his depression that night on why he went out was she had asked him earlier in the day, said, Danny, I think tonight I'm going to go to a, to a party with some of my friends. And she was actually asking him for permission. That's nice. She, it was, okay? All right. And Danny, you know, probably wanted to say, oh, no, don't go out. Sure. But, no, but he wasn't that kind of kid. Oh, no, go out. Enjoy your friends. But I'm sure after he said that, he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> what could happen? Did, 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 did I just now create another problem? I think that happened on a suppression night. But they had agreed to talk later that night. Well, the other part of the story is Danny uh, and her was kind of running up a phone bill back then. You didn't have these automatic long distance unlimited and stuff like that back then. You had a, a real long distance phone bill. Yeah. And I kind of feel guilty about this now. And I did after is, is that I was on their case about it. You know, y'all spent a little too much time on the phone. You know, we're getting hundred dollar bills. This is 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Jeez, 25 years ago. Okay. And so I asked them, I said, look, I'm going to want y'all to at least pay half of this. Him and her. So they had a kitty that they both, she would, she did a little part-time work. He would go to Mississippi, drive her back. She would work part-time in our area at a little place. And they would chip a little something in the kitty. Well, he had like $100 in the kitty that he hadn't even touched his own money. So the theory that the cop said he went up there and he tried to rob the black guys just didn't really hold water to me. But not only that, the fact that they maybe thought that way, but even when they got the answer, they kept looking for what this kid did wrong. Right. What time are you spending looking for the killer? That's right. Early on, it's a crying chain, but the girl that I eventually would find a witness, and I wouldn't find her for another nine months after his, his murder. Mm -hmm. It took me about nine months to find her. She called within days to Crime Stoppers and reported who was the killer. Wow. Within days. Okay. And they knew who the killer was, or they should have known who the killer was at that time. Now, in all fairness, she was anonymous. She was a, a crime stopper calling, so they, they they didn't actually get to ask her, but she provided the name, his address, his age, all this kind of stuff. I watched him shoot this boy. Oh, my gosh. Well, the police, I would find this out in hindsight. They don't tell you anything that's going on. I think they're doing nothing, but they're doing something. Mm -hmm. They call the kid in. He comes in with his grandmother. His mother and father in jail. He's only 15 years of age. They oh, my goodness. I know. I know. I have some compassion for the killer now. Right. And if you watch the show, 
I befriended the killer when I thought the killer was the witness. I'm kind of I giving some of the story, but I have to do this to tell a story, okay? Yes. Uh, so I just I, want to let our, our audience know that um, in this four-part series on Netflix, in the beginning, you think that the actual killer is giving Dan information, okay? But it turns well, out later that he actually did it. And so there's a really big turnaround in this show. And you sit there with your mouth open and you're like, holy Moses. So go ahead. Actually, there's some other crazy parts of the story that make it an interesting story. Okay. Yes. So, so any event, they call, they bring the kid in. Immediately the kid says, no, I didn't do it, but I know who did. Well, that makes an easy case for the, for the police. It's a much easier case. They right. immediately turn the kid into a witness. They accept him. They don't go check his house, his clothes. They don't do anything. Had they done it at that time, there may have been some physical evidence that they could have obtained that may have actually proved that he was the killer. Right. But they treat him as the witness. And in fairness, they hope that he is. They probably mm -hmm. do hope they can solve the case. They, it's a checkoff if they, if they happen to win. Sure. They even eventually will tell me or I eventually find out that they have this witness that's seen it. I buy that. I get to know the killer, the witness. Mm -hmm. He goes out with me helping to find the killer. This was amazing. <laughs> I was like, holy Moses, talk about twists and turns. I am praying at night. And by the way, I start recording things. Okay. And a lot of people wonder about why is there so much recordings? I mean, what was what was going on? Was you planning a future movie or a documentary? No, by no means. I had never recorded anything in my life. And originally I trust the cops. But during the course of listening to the cops, there was a couple of times I would tell them to do things and they would say, okay, well, we'll look into that. And then I would call back and they would say, you didn't ask us that. Oh, and they started playing with my head. And I go, remember, I'm grieving now. In addition to actually working now trying to solve the murder, I'm in a, a current grief state. So I doubt myself. I said, well, you know, maybe they write. Yeah. And so I started recording to, to check myself. Yes. Not, not to capture them, to catch myself. Well, I caught more than myself. <laughs> I would catch them in lies. I would catch them in all kind of stuff. And ultimately, I, I recorded the killer. I recorded the witness. I recorded a whole bunch of people. And it helped me teach me how to investigate and ultimately helped me solve the murder. But it did something else, too, now. Nobody wanted me doing what I did, including my wife, in a sense, because I was going in dangerous areas and areas where I could have been killed. Yes. And and uh, and I later would find out they had a hit on me, that, that they, they they definitely wanted to do me in at some point in time and protect the, the runner, the, the head drug dealer wanted to protect the runner that shot my son. He didn't want that him to go to, 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 to jail, didn't want him to come out, might hurt his business, okay? So he'd prefer to see me dead, okay? And so uh, I... Again, it goes back to I'm praying the whole time. I'm trying to be smart, okay? But also, I don't have anybody to talk to. Sometimes I can talk to my wife, okay? And she she's supportive, but she's scared, okay? Sure. And, and so I actually pray to myself, and I record it. I, I start recording out of habit, almost mm -hmm. every, okay? 
You even catch me, and they show this in the documentary. I'm praying for my son's killer. When I think he's the witness, I'm praying that they will listen to this kid and, and that they don't scare this kid, because I think they've scared this kid into not being a good witness. Well, he wasn't a good witness because he was the killer. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It, 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 it's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, I'm, I have to try to cut this story. So I, I, the other interesting thing that I do, so I'm recording all this. And eventually they give up on the case. They've screwed up the case. They make an arrest or two uh, of it. They dismiss this kid who's the killer as a witness. That'll all come out, all the screw-ups they made. Uh, the, the cold case squad, when they come and they say the first thing mistake they made was they turned the witness, uh, the, the witness and uh, the killer into a witness. Yes. When they knew, was told he was the killer. Okay. And so they didn't want the case now to come out. So they would put obstacles in my way to prevent me from solving the case. So I not only had to solve the case and try to keep my ass alive and keep the witness ass alive that I eventually found, I had to do battle with them many times putting obstacles and making it difficult. But you know what? In a way, it reversed. It increased my determination. It almost began, I'm going to I'm gonna beat these cops at this. Okay? They think I can't do this, okay? <laughs> I, I'm going to want to prove it my son wasn't at fault here, other than he shouldn't have been up there. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to find out who is the killer, and I'm going to get some justice. They also told me, even if you get this in trial, you're not going to get any justice which I kind of now know because they had screwed things up so much it was going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. But all that was meant to discourage me from even trying. Okay. So any event, I eventually gave up. The police told me one of the things I asked them early on to do, I said, I'd like to canvas the area. Okay. I want to make phone calls to everybody in the area. They said, oh, don't do that. You muddy up the waters and, you know, you, you confuse the issue. Okay. And I, half the time I kind of tried to buy into what they were saying. Maybe they know more than I know. But at some point, I realized they're not working the case anymore. Mm -hmm. They've screwed up. They're kind of working against me. So I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. Yes. So one of the last things I do that, I'm almost ready to give up, okay, uh, on the case. I don't know whether I would have given up, but I was actually starting to pray for God to let me, give me the power to let this go. Okay. And sure enough, when I, when I started having those kind of prayers, I gave myself a deadline. My son's birthday was September 17th. No, his, mom was September 17th. His was September 27th. My mother was September 1st. Wow. So I go to my son's grave on September 1st, which is my mother's grave and his grave. And I, I kneel down and I pray. And I, I'm actually praying for God to let me, if I, if I can't get a breakthrough, God, let me be able to live with giving up. Right. And I prayed that sincerely. But I went home and I decided I'm going to call everybody I can in that area. Back then, you didn't have computers. Okay, so I went to the Haynes Directory, which was a big book that had all kind of phone like numbers. the yellow it. pages in the area. I go in and I draw a circle of the area where my son's killed. So many blocks around it, okay? And I attempt to call everybody. Now, the odds of me reaching somebody again are infinitesimal. Right. Because half the people in that area don't have phones. Okay. And when I call, I've got to catch the adult home. Many times I catch a kid. Many times I catch an adult who gives me a couple of tidbits. I get a couple of hints in there. Later on, some of those hints were, were part of 
me solving the problem, okay? But most of them wouldn't give me anything directly like they witnessed it. They weren't a witness, okay? And uh, and then lots of times the person would be angry, okay? What are you doing, Carl? I lost my son, you know, you know, get off my back, you know? So I, I, I caught some of that too, okay? But anyway, I get to the end of my calls one day, okay? And I got this little spiel. Look, my son was murdered on the corner, Forestall and Dauphine, about nine months ago. The police supposedly have solved the case. They really haven't. That has fallen apart, okay? And I'd like to know if you or maybe you know somebody might know something about this. That was kind of my spiel to everybody that I called. And this girl on the other end of the line says, I saw it all. Oh, Crime Stoppers, like a day or so after, and I gave him his name and his address, and guess what? He's the killer. I know he's been blaming somebody else, but he's the actual killer. And my Crime Stopper number is this, and she gives me a Crime Stopper number. Wow. So she had like a confirmation number of what she's left? Wow. That was the only way they could ever trace her back. Right. But they're not supposed to be allowed to trace her back. And and that's a good thing in a way. We want people to know a call. And she relates to me that she really wants this solved, but she doesn't want to have to testify because she might get killed and her kids might get killed. Well, I understand that. So for a little while, I worked with her, okay? trying to get more evidence from her. Now I'm really an investigator. I'm really doing the police work now. She's giving me tips. I'm trying to find a second witness other than her that maybe I can get brought. All of which is almost impossible to do. Yeah. Well, after a while working with her, I realized that ain't going to probably happen. I'm not going to find a second witness. What other person only lives one block away that can watch the murder actually happen and who might be willing to come forward or at least try to through crime stops. Yeah. So I got to start working on a girl. My daughter works on her. My wife works on her. I work on her. We bring it to a house. First thing she asks, she says, I want to see Danny's room. Oh, yes, I remember. We bring her to the house and me and her go up in my son's room and we both cry. And she said, I really want this to be resolved for y'all. She said, I don't know if I can do this, but I really want to do this. If I absolutely have to, I think I will. And she said, I'd like to see where daddy's buried. See, this is behind the scenes stuff that you're not going to get in the documentary. Okay? Sure, sure. So we go and I say we, my wife, my sister, Danny's uh, girlfriend, almost fiance, her mother, uh, uh, we all go to Danny's gravesite. And we're at the gravesite, this girl promises us that if she has to come forward, we're still in the process where we're trying to do whatever we can do short of her coming forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> she promises that if she has to come forward, she will. Which I hate to say, I held it to that. And if you watch the documentary, me and her kind of got into it sometimes. Okay. There's recordings of her, you know, and I'm pursuing her to try to get her over the hump. Right. There's a lot of things that didn't come out in that documentary, but one of the things she asked me, she said, I'll come forward if the, the minister down the street will go with me to the police. Well, I think fine, because I've already been talking to that minister, and they're trying to help me solve the murder. So I, I go to that minister and say, look, this girl's ready to come forward. All she wants is you to go with it to the police. Right. And uh, 
He says, I, I can't do that. And I didn't understand at the time. I don't know if I still agree with this, but he felt as though that if he <coughs> did, it would get out that he actually went to the police with her and that people might not tell him things. Okay. Right. right. I understand that, but I had to respect that. But it was another hurdle. I had a yeah. ready to go. Okay. And there was a couple of times I had a ready to go. One time the police actually turned her away. And I didn't like that either. But one of the good cops, I got to admit, there was a good cop in this picture. He's the one that actually kind of double crossed me. He'd been helping me the whole time versus some of the bad cops that were involved. Okay. But he got a little bit afraid for this girl. He also realized that the case had been so screwed up by people under him that the case wasn't going to be resolved. So he he said, me, my God, this girl's going to come forward. She's going to testify. And this kid's going to walk anyway. And she might get killed in the process. Absolutely. So he got a double cross me, though, because he didn't prepare me for that. I had her call him to arrange an appointment for him her to come in and tell it all. Okay. Remember, they know who she is, but they can't go to her because she's a crime stopper witness. Right. She has to go to them. Now, I had her primed a couple of times to go to them. And the time that she they go to, uh, he, she calls the, the, the good cop that, uh, about coming in for an appointment to tell it all. Okay. He tells her, You realize this case is never going to get solved. You realize that you'd love to get killed. Now, I hate to say it, I don't agree with what he did, but he felt he was being truly honest. Yes. He felt he was protecting her. It's a complicated story. I, I sort of No, I totally understand it because this is real life. I mean, they live in a neighborhood that is very dangerous and they have no way to protect themselves. Let me let me tell you the other part of it. What I was so disappointed with is I, I don't know that I would have said, okay, if you got to do that, do that. But he didn't tell me that. So I told the girl, he's going to be receptive. He's going to be warm. Okay. And now she thinks I double-crossed her. I oh, said, I, I almost lost her completely. Along the way, some other things happened. Along the way, she asked me one time, she said, would you do this for me if the shoe was on the other foot? And I said, well, you know what? If the murder had happened in my neighborhood, no doubt. If I lived in your neighborhood, I don't know if I would. In fact, I probably wouldn't but I need you to do this. We also know one of the reasons, some of the motivation for her finally taking that step was she'd already got to know my, my wife, my daughter, Danny's girlfriend. She'd already visited Danny's grave and made promises. Okay. So there was a lot of work that went into this thing. My daughter was writing the letters. My daughter was talking with her. In the documentary, she said my daughter had a lot to do with swaying her because she knew what my daughter was going through because uh, my daughter had lost a brother. She had also lost two brothers, and their cases wasn't solved because nobody would come forward. Oh, so, my goodness. Getting back to this, how do you find a witness in this name? How do I reach her on the phone? Okay. How does she admit to me what she did, what she saw? She's only one block away. She knows the killer. There's no doubt. She she babysat the killer. She's yeah, gonna, wasn't she like his aunt? She Like he called her auntie? That's right. Absolutely. And he admits to her when he comes back from shooting my son, okay? Because somebody might say, well, maybe she didn't quite, it was it was a block away. Maybe they were going to maybe argue that maybe she couldn't really tell it was him. But when he shot my son, he ran 
towards her, and he stopped and said, Titi, look what I done did. Wow. And that's part of her testimony, okay? And, you know, we now know we eventually met with the kid. The kid eventually pled uh, uh, to manslaughter. Mm-hmm. And that, that's another interesting situation, okay? She finally does come forward. And by the way, the night before her tires are slashed, her bricks thrown through her window, they tell her they're going to kill her if she testifies. And then on the way on the courthouse steps, and I was there on the courthouse steps too, when she's going into the courthouse, his family is shouting at her, we're going to kill you, bitch. She's walking on and on, one of the DAs, assistant DAs. And sure enough, she goes in there, okay? And when the kid sees that she's really going to go through with this, his attorney talks him into a plea deal. But it's up to me now whether we're going to accept the plea deal because we can make this thing go to trial. Yeah. And I was god awful tempted to make it go to trial, okay? Now, I'm told originally with the plea deal, he's going to get 30 years. Well, I was pretty satisfied with 30 years, okay? Right. Not so the plea, life. the plea was going to be thirty years. At first, yeah, I was going to say that's kind of high. Well, but it was life in prison without parole. Gotcha. That's what. what if we'd have went to trial, it'd have been life in prison. So thirty years. He was only fifteen or sixteen by the time he went to trial. He would have got out when he was forty-six. Mm-hmm. With the thirty years, he probably would have got out a little bit before that. He probably would have saved serve so much of that time or something like that. I don't know what the deal is. Okay. Anyway, they whittled it down to, you know, 15 years. And I think they were going to try to go further. I said, I ain't going no further than this. I said, in fact, I might want to go to trial. So the judge paused everything, held the jury on the side, told him to come back in the next day and said, Mrs. Snyder, I want you to think about this. They, I will have to admit this. They left it up to me to make the decision. Wow. That was really amazing. Cause a and lot he, of times they'll They'll yeah. let you know, but they ultimately do what they're going to do anyway. Well, this is what the DA told me. We got about 50-50 chance. Okay. And it's 50% that we're going to get this kid put away for life. And 50% chance he's going to walk free. And he said, can you accept him walking free? Yeah. And at the time, I had to sleep on that. And I said, I really couldn't accept that. I had seen the O.J. Simpson trial. and I Yeah. Saw- no, so he walked free, and I said, you know, uh, I prayed to God and I and and, and prayed to my son, and uh, you know, I, I wrestled with this. And I hate to say what I'm going to say right now, but it just shows you how emotional you're about this. This this kid had betrayed me. I thought he was the witness. Sure, turns out to be the killer. Okay, and. Uh, I, I made a deal and said, look, okay, I'm going to accept this 15-year sentence because at least it'll go away for 15 years. He won't be able to kill anybody for 15 years, okay? Right. And I said, not only that, if he gets out, if I want to, I can kill him. Now, that, that sounds really strange, and I probably didn't mean that, and I hope I didn't mean that, but I had to justify in my own mind. After all the work I'd done, I knew he was the killer. Knew I had I had multiple people that told me he killed him and described what happened. Okay, but I could only get one to court, and it was a miracle I got out of court. Yes. So my chances of solving a case were like I don't think it was 50-50. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have stood the alternative. So in my mind, I had to say I can kill him if I want to. Right. There's another a little part of the story. I don't think it's the right way to bring this in, but. Ten years after, and, and I always hated that we had to call it manslaughter, meant, meant he sort of like accidentally killed my son. 
Yes, it's like a it's like a truck's going down the road. This is how I was always told. Trucks going down the road and the brakes, the brakes fail and they kill somebody. That's manslaughter. Okay. It was done without malice, but murder is with malice, intent, and they expected to kill the person. Well, hang on. This is what's crazy about this story. And I've had to digest this and I don't know the ultimate answer. Okay. But in any event. 10 years after the kid's in prison, okay, he pleads guilty. We go visit him in prison. We, oh, my. I have to have social workers work on us and work on him. And they're afraid I'm going to go in and try to kill a kid. Okay. And really, I had forgiveness in my heart. My son would have had forgiveness in his heart. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not saying I forgave him, but I was trying to understand. And I did understand he was 15. His mother was in prison. His daddy was in prison. He grew up in this, this world. My son had it really nice and easy, okay, and, 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 a, and a good life that this kid never had saw. And I kind of talked to my son, Danny, what do you think about this? Okay. And I really believe Danny would have said, no, Dad, you know, we, we, we don't want him to kill again, but we want him now to have a life. Maybe do something good with his life. And so I struggled with that. And my wife wasn't quite on, equal to me on that. I, I was starting to have some empathy. So anyway, I go to the prison. Me and I go to prison. First thing we sit down, the kid says, Mr. Danny, I want to thank you for saving my life. Whoa, that's intense. And let me tell you what he meant. Because it wasn't as quite as pure as it meant. Okay. I happen to know all the dealers in the area. After my investigation, I knew all the runners in the area. I knew most of his friends. All of his friends died on the street. If my son's killer would have remained on the street, and people told me this, just leave him on the street, justice, the street justice will get him. And, and I kind of knew that, but I also knew he might kill somebody innocent, not consider myself as my son is almost innocent. Okay. And, and I, I couldn't see him killing somebody else. I, I, I wanted to do it the right way. Right. The, the way you're supposed to do it, you get them in a court and, and, and you get some kind of justice out of the, the criminal justice system. I really wanted to do it the right way. Okay. Well, let me back up a little bit. So the kid is basically saying this because he knows his friends are dead. And by me getting him arrested, okay, and him going to jail, which was horrible. He got beat up in jail one time, almost got killed. Okay. Probably got raped. Okay. I, I wouldn't wish any of that on him, but bad things happen in prison, okay? Some of which he maybe, in a sense, deserved, okay? But uh, I try not to feel that way, okay? But any event, he's alive. And now he's only got, at the 10th year, he's only got three and a half to go because it's a 15-year sentence, which he has to save 85%, which okay. is 13 years. Okay. He does, he does ultimately, he's going to get out in three and a half years. But I tell him something he didn't know. There was a period of time, okay, where I didn't even trust a witness. Okay. I thought she might be exaggerating. There's a reward out there. People said, oh, she's only doing this for the reward, which I thought was kind of crazy because she would have went and testified early on, okay, and all she had to do was get him indicted. Didn't even have to be found guilty, and she would have got the, the money, okay. She was scared to death. She told me she didn't care about the money. I don't think that was being totally honest, but she didn't care enough about the money to open herself up and testify. And I don't think that really weighed heavily on her decision. It was her getting to know me, getting to know my daughter, getting to know what we were going through, getting to know that he might kill somebody else. Those were the factors that added up. 
But any event, I don't trust at some point. I'm just getting to know her. And not only that, there's two potential killers. The kid is still insisting he saw the killing. Maybe the girl got it confused. Which, I, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to give the benefit of the doubt, okay? Uh-huh. So at this stage, I have a friend that lives not far down from me at my house. He comes to me and he says, Danny, he says, uh, are you going up there with a gun? I said, no, I don't believe in guns. <laughs> I'm going up there without a gun. He says, you know, you, you're going to get yourself killed up there. Okay. This is, you know, and, and he, and he says, tell you what, he says, I don't know if you know this or not. He said, you know, I live two doors down from you. You know me to some extent. He said, but when I was younger, I had a serious drug problem. In fact, I lived for a while in the area where your son got killed. And he says, I sold drugs. I bought drugs. I took drugs. I had fights. I was shot at. I shot at people. Okay. Wow. I was a that's junkie. Okay. Totally out of control. And then I corrected myself, and now I'm an upstanding citizen and such and such. He says, but, you know, I still know people up there. And I got this older drug dealer, and he says, he's a retired drug dealer. He's not the kingpin anymore. But <laughs> this is weird. I mean, think, think of the things. Yeah, I know. I got to get down in the dirt, okay, okay? But I'm I'm all ears, okay? This is a way for me maybe to, to find out something. So he says, I'm going to take you, damn, and I'm, if you name these two first, before he does this, this is the last result on his part, too. I go out with him, and he actually is in a car riding so-called shotgun, literally. He's got a gun. He's watching me while I'm interviewing people in the neighborhood. And in case somebody comes up on me, he's going to protect me. So okay. I, I, he's not the only one. I allowed my brother-in-law to go up there occasionally with a gun, too, just to watch out for me. Okay. I also had the good fortune of one of the church groups walk with me in those neighborhoods to protect me. I remember seeing that. I thought that was really great. Very, very courageous. Fantastic on their part and, and whatnot. Okay. So we, we did get a lot of help from the black community and in the, the black witness. And it, it could have easily been a racial thing to some extent. It was okay. White kid, black kid, so on and so forth. Okay. But we had a lot of help. Now they were up there. People didn't want me up there too. And the drug dealers didn't want me up there. They wanted me dead, okay? But even some of the neighborhood resented the fact that I was up there getting justice for my white-ass son, okay? Mm-hmm. When and, they when they don't usually get justice for them. They don't. For themselves. They had, they had less of a chance of getting justice. <clears throat> it's true. And, and, I, and I, I understood that, okay? And I, I But I still had to do it. I still had to do it, okay? And so any of that... He brings me eventually after after a couple of times going out with me, he says, well, I don't know if this is going to work. He says, you know, I'm going to bring you to a retired drug deal and he's going to be able to tell you which of the, if, if one of those two kids is the killer, okay, and which one it is. I said, well, great. Brings me up there. I sit down with this old man on the porch. He asks me the names. He writes them down. Almost like a businessman would write them down, okay. And he says something really simple to me. He says, okay. He says, if I find out one of these two is the killer, do you want me to have him killed? <laughs> Which that must have weighed on you because it's like, wow. Well, I tell Jeffrey that story when I'm in jail after 10 years. I said, Jeffrey, you don't know. It wasn't that you just could have got killed on the street. I had office to have you killed. I wanted to do it the right way. I wanted to get you in jail. I wanted you to have a second chance. And you have to promise me one thing. When you get out, you're not going to touch that witness or have any revenge on that witness. Because if you do, I will have your ass killed. 
And he's almost there. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, I've forgiven her too now. She helped, uh, you know, so it went well. Now, whether he meant it or not, I don't know, but it was good to hear that. He also apologized for killing our son. And, and an interesting part that he did, and I still don't know if this is true or not, he says, but I really didn't mean to kill your son. Oh, this man. is where we accepted manslaughter. And I'm not saying it was manslaughter, but there's a chance it could have been. I happen to know so much about the case that the kid says, look, Mr. Danny, this is basically what happened, okay? I ripped Danny off. And Danny went, went away, but he came back. Now, a, a, a lot of the white kids in that area would rip off the blacks sometime, and the blacks would rip off the whites, and there was sort of a racial animosity. Okay? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the white kids would have fights with the black kids. Oh, wow. Danny was not to that stage. And I say that because I don't think he ever got to that stage. But he might have gotten to that stage had his addiction gotten really desperate. But he wasn't out of money, okay? And he had a good family. He had a good, stable background. He wasn't been stealing from us. We hadn't locked him out of the house. Like later, I would find out a lot of parents, they had locked their kids out of the house. Their kids had stolen from them, okay? Fortunately, it never happened with us, okay? He said, but I thought Danny was coming back to get me. Oh, I meant to fire a warning shot to scare him off. Right. And accidentally killed him. Interesting. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. Exactly. But he a situation that it is at least possible. Right. So maybe he really got what he deserved. We would never know. Yeah. But we did get justice. And remember, that fulfilled the mission of getting my son's killer off the street. Okay. And on me now going to my next mission, what can I do to help parents discover and understand drug use and work with their kids and find out the solutions and prevent these things from happening? Fulfill this mission for God who has helped me solve this miracle, impossible case against all odds. Okay. What can I do now to give back? Okay. Right. And, and Danny's haunting words. Dad, I want to do something to discourage kids from doing drugs. Right. Now, who could have more motivation than that? And you might want to ask, well, where was your grief in this process? I, I, you know, I was so busy trying to solve this case, whether it was a revenge or whether it was just justice or whether it was getting him off the street because he might kill somebody else like my son, which I considered almost innocent. Right, right. And, I felt a duty, which, by the way, now, when that when that guy asked me, do you want me to have him killed? At that stage, I actually thought about it. And some people don't understand why I would have thought about it at, at that time. Because at that time, the DA had told me, you're not going to solve this murder. You're never going to get justice, even if you get him into the courtroom. He's going to walk free. Nobody told me you might get a, 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 a plea deal. It, mm -hmm. it, it seemed to be he's either guilty or he's not guilty. Okay, so the DA told me early on when I was investigating the case, this is not, I'm sorry, you're doing all this work, but you're not going to get justice. The police told my witness, said, you're going to put your ass on one, maybe get killed, and there ain't going to be no justice. Now, whether they were right in saying this or not is for debate. But they felt they wanted to paint the picture as they thought it was. So I right. knew what I was up against. I guess it's a good thing I didn't believe them. 
okay? I trusted in maybe God or some divine intervention or karma or luck or, or this unfairness of what happened to my son, not wanting to go up there, being <clears throat> somewhat innocent, somewhat when he came back, by the way, when he came back, he didn't come back to get even with that kid. Now we don't know this 100% sure, but the odds are, the odds are he came back because he had a little bit of money left, which was a confusing thing. That's one reason the cops thought that he shorted the the, the, uh, the 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 kid, but he had a few dollars left. And I I I had to find out from other addicts in the area how they do this. Danny had separated some of his money. He didn't put all his money up the window when the kid stole his money. Okay. He kept a little bit on the side. Now, in the past, some of his friends said they went up with him there one time and, and they got ripped off. And one of the kids wanted to go back and get the, the kid that ripped them off. Okay. Then he said, no, out of there. Apparently, his addiction was not that serious. He decided he was going to go home and chalk it off. Right. This night, he had to go back. The drug was so powerful, okay, that he had to go back. Now, he didn't go back to get even with the kid. He had a few dollars left. You could still buy some drug. You just might get a little bit less. The kid don't know that. He thinks he's coming back to get him. It, it's very possible the kid may have something to what he says. Right. Okay? Although I'm painting him a little too innocent. We, we really don't know. <laughs> we, we, really don't, we really don't know for sure. Any event, the next part of this thing is I go home. In my drugstore, I've been seeing some funny things going on. I've been seeing younger than usual crowd, healthy, that are getting these high-powered Oxycontin prescriptions by this called, company called Purdue Pharma. Right. It, it doesn't look good to me. I, I, I want to try to do something about it, but I'm busy working on my son's case. Right. Okay. I can't focus between trying to do a little work and earn a little money and spending the rest of my time devoted on the, on, on the case. I cannot get into that world. Okay. Right. Oh, and oh, and oh, I and that and at that point, right, I'm going to um I'm going to finish this episode. And the reason I am um to my audience is because the next phase of what Dan does is so oh my god, so intriguing, so such a crusade, a second and a third crusade. He looks into a pill mill doctor who is trying to just give out, oh my God, millions of pills, okay, uh, in an office not too far from where he lives. And additionally, once he realizes most of this is through uh, Purdue Pharma, we're going to talk about all that and what's going on with that. And it just so happens for you to know is that on December 4th, correct? It's a Monday. Finally, after all these years, the Supreme Court of the United States is going to hear the case against the Sackler family who owns Purdue Pharma. And we are believing for um, the case to be in our favor the ruling to be in our favor. Absolutely. Okay. Me, me and Ed Bish, and you know Ed, Ed Bish's story, we really hoping that we can get some measure of justice for accountability, not yeah. just for exactly. now. accountability. We don't want this to happen again. And by them just simply paying fines and paying some money, 
doesn't do a lot of damage to them and doesn't discourage anybody else from doing the same thing. Very and true. And you have to realize that there's a lot of different um, uh, documentaries that have been developed on this. One's called Painkiller. Um, tell us the other two. I can't remember. Dope Dope Say it again. Dope sick. Dope sick. Right. And there are others also. There's Empire of Pain. Empire uh, of Pain. Mm -hmm. I can't even name them all, but there have been a number of that have come out and, and outlined this. Right. And I early on knew this story. And I'm going to tell you in the next episode, I'm going to tell you about a connection that me and Ed Bish have that I didn't know until just recently. And it's a, it's, it's a touching element. And we both have been warriors trying to hold Purdue accountable. Yes. And that Supreme Court decision goes in our favor, although we're, we're somewhat skeptical and realistic that uh, things don't always go in our favor. Right. So and this started from OxyContin, okay, um, from all of these salespeople pushing this drug to doctors, uh, lying to them that it was only 1% addictive. Um, and it turned out to just destroy a whole generation of people. And so I'm going to thank you very much now, Dan, for the time we spent today. And we're going to develop another episode now for next week so that you could learn all there is. And if by chance you are in DC or anywhere near it, and you'd like to go in front of the Supreme Court on December 4th, be there at 8 a.m., even earlier if you can, and support all the people. And if you've been you know, um, affected, if your family members have died from OxyContin and all these other drugs, all these opioids, please lend your support by being there that day. It would really mean so much to Ed Bish, who was on our um on our uh, had an episode a couple of weeks ago. You can listen into his story and Dan's story. So Dan, I thank you so much for everything you spoke about this morning about Danny and his case and how the two of us became detectives <laughs> through through this experience in our lives which we never thought we would ever have to deal with. And so thank I'm you. Grateful. Thank you. Bye now. Bye now.